Yeah, yeah. That is the spinners with I'll Be Around. If you are a longtime listener of the show, you know that that was the song that many years ago, well, I don't know, was it many? A few years ago, I had a uh, sleepless, what do they call it, a dark night of the soul, a sleepless night where I spent quite some time lying awake in bed listening to this song over and over again, convinced that it had somehow touched the um, the very soul of what, well, I mean not the soul, the very essence of what great music is, that they had somehow in that moment and in that production created uh, a piece of art that somehow peeked at the secrets of the universe. It revealed the true wonder and nature of beauty and art and life and existence. I don't believe that I had been drinking that night. I think I was just lying awake and it just seemed to be very, very clear to me that it was such a wonderful song. And that song has come up several times in the last little while. And tonight, uh, it came across while I was listening to Radio Paradise just as I finished doing some, uh, what do you call it? Philately, I guess, really is what I was doing. I was looking at my stamp collection. I was adding some new stamps that I just acquired, thankfully, uh, into the collection, into the Canadian collection. It was two albums that um, they were annual collections from uh, 2001 and 2015. Uh, These were very, very wonderful books that Canada Post puts out that are full-color, hardcover books um, in protective sleeves um, that... uh, Come complete with uh, all of the stamps that are issued, issued, issued in um, in that year, and um, they're usually uh, it's usually a lot of uh, at least in the case of the 2015 book, um, they're usually sort of uh, they're usually souvenir sheets. So I don't know how I'm going to um, deal with that in terms of my collection. Um, my stamp book, I guess. I think probably what's going to happen is I'm going to do a proper collection book that is single stamps, mostly used in mint that goes from the very early years, the 1850, whatever, was it, 58, I think, number 4D that I have. Probably up till 1960, I believe. I think that's when I will sort of cut that book off. I will do custom stamp page albums and I will try to fill that one out and just sort of keep that as a thing. Uh, and then um, I don't know what I'll do with all my post 60 uh, stamps. There's a lot of uh, corner blocks and blocks and a lot of um, like for the modern era, there's a lot of, you know, really nice stamps and stuff like that in there, but they're not highly valuable. 
I think I'll just maybe keep them in um, stock page sheets or something like that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, part of the option I could do is that for a lot of the 70s ones that I have and the 80s ones that I have, I think it's from 77 to 87 I have, or 77 to 86 at least, uh, I have more yearly um, collections. Uh, they're not quite as uh, beautiful books. These are soft cover books that you can take the stamps and put them in these these pages, um, but they're not in um, protective covers. I don't think so. I don't think all of them. I mean, there may be one or two that were uh, not nearly as beautiful. You know, they're black and white printed, very sort of cheaply done. I think I'll keep those books that I have that those came in, but I don't know what I'll do with them. Anyway, um, hi, it's me. It's Doug. It's Slug is Doug. Welcome to whatever episode this is. It's um, 1.52 a.m. on uh, Saturday, August 12th. And uh, I was going to sit down and, you know, I, I just poured a, a, a Glen Cairn full of, uh, well, not full, but, you know, a proper, a proper one ounce of um, Woodford Reserve rye uh, into my Glen Cairn. And I thought I'd sit down and just sort of unwind after stamp collecting. F filleting. <laughs> As my wife says, philatelling. Um, and, uh, and just sort of, I don't know, just wind down. Um, there's been a couple things that have been going on. I've been doing, uh, as you have probably seen or even heard in the maybe in the last little while, I've been doing a lot more stamp collecting and been been getting way deeper involved in my collection and in looking at stamps, especially the Canadian stamps. But I'm also starting to look at my world collection and I'm thinking more and more about what maybe I might specialize in terms of my collection um canada for sure i'm thinking about automobiles i'm thinking about butterflies i'm thinking about uh um cars i would love to collect cars on stamps so i think those are some of the things that i'm going to aim for but uh, you know there's something wonderful i know i uh, you probably are tired of listening to me talk about it but there's something very wonderful about um the journey that, like, getting a packet, I just got a packet of about 100 stamps from um, some guy on eBay in the States. And uh, they're just like world, it's a, you know, variety of world stamps. And boy, they just take you on a journey. Not only just sort of like a, you, you know, you look at them and you, you see that what the, the what's on the stamp. You know, you see the beautiful artwork. You see that small, you know, beautiful picture, usually. Some of them aren't that great. You know, some of them are just meh, right? Uh, often a lot of the portrait ones I'm not so interested in. But um, what, where it also takes you, though, is where I was looking at some other ones that I got from my monthly subscription to... Falada Lovely, where he sends me a wonderful selection of postcards and first day covers and stamps from around the world. And 
you know, I've been going through them and sorting them and trying to organize them at least by country. And I am just amazed at how, like, how little I know of, first of all, African geography. I don't know if I've talked about this in the past or not, but I've just really of world geography, like where things are, especially for some of these smaller countries. And um, as you kind of go back in time, like where a lot of these older um, what we would say sort of dead countries were or what they were. Um, they had since either become independent and renamed themselves or been absorbed by somebody else. Um, it really does show uh, the effect of colonialism on the world. Um, it it's it's interesting. It it. There was, I was looking at some stamps of India, um, and there were some, I believe, that were, uh, I don't know if I had anything that was pre, I don't think I had anything that were pre-colonial, like pre-British um, occupation. But I was interested once uh, to see why. Well, I noticed that I had these issues of Pakistan stamps that were actually India stamps with an overprint of them that said Pakistan. And this is obviously post-partition. And so I started to sort of, you know, look into the, the history of, of the partition of, of India and the absolute horror that was put upon that area of the world um, by basically, I guess, the British saying, well, we're going to split it along, we're going to split this country along um, religious lines and you don't have anything to say about it and, and it basically created a war uh, you know, and just like it created a civil war and created, you know, people not knowing what was going to happen with the rest of their life. And that was all just because I looked at a stamp, you know, that I, I, I looked further into what what life was like in another country at, at a specific time. Um, and then just, you know, like looking into the the small islands in the South Pacific that have stamps because that helps them to make money by you know, selling stamps to collectors, creating beautiful stamps of, say, butterflies. Um, Bhutan. Do you know where that country is? Do you have an idea where Bhutan is? Not a South Pacific island. No, it's actually near India and Pakistan. But a, a country that creates some beautiful, from what I remember, has created some beautiful stamps. Uh, very lovely butterfly ones, from what I can remember in my collection. Um, yeah, it's, it's just been, it's, it's remarkable. I, and I, my family probably hates me for it. Probably, you know, don't hate me, but they, they probably, um, they don't like my hobby. I don't think because it does keep me away from them and I need to maybe balance 
or pull back a bit more on how deep I go when I end up downstairs just looking at stamps for hours on end. Perhaps I need to uh, put a limit on the amount of time that I do it. Um, but boy, I I really do love it. <laughs> it it brings me so much joy, and and um, I'm a nerd, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. And another thing that's happened is I've, uh, I uncovered a bunch of coins of my uh, father-in-law's, and I went through cataloging them and and looking at them and finding out their value and i think stamp collecting is becoming or not stamp collecting but coin collecting may become another thing for me um every time i end up with a coin in my pocket i now look at it and go oh that's pretty or that's not pretty or you know maybe i can put that in a collection and so i've set aside a bunch that i'm going to keep and eventually i'll get one of those nice albums that you can just sort of stick a coin in each slot uh, for each year. And uh, there's this amazing uh, series of, well, I don't know if they're amazing, but there's these interesting YouTube channels that I have gone down rabbit holes on of people that basically go to the bank and they just buy uh, like $1,000 worth of, um, what is it, loonies or, you know, a uh, hundred bucks worth of, or is it $250 worth of, of, of nickels or, or whatever the, the, the nomination is. And it's a box of, of rolls of the coin. And you basically unroll them and you search through them. It's called uh, roll, uh, coin roll hunting. And you hope that basically by paying face value for the coin, you get one that is collectible or desirable um, in Canada, you know, you can hope that maybe you get, if you get quarters, you get some pre-1967 or I guess, yeah, 1967 quarters that are uh, silver. I think they're 80% silver. So, you know, you could be pretty fortunate. You get a, I think a, a quarter these days, uh, silver quarter is worth, what is it? I think it's five bucks these days. I might be wrong, but anyway, it's it's worth way more than 25 cents. So that I've been watching too. And um, it looks like something that would be kind of fun to do. You know, it's it's sort of this digging for treasure thing. And there's that that uh, that hope that you find that special thing. <laughs> and, you know, the coins that you don't keep, you just you re-roll them, you send them back to the to the bank. So I might have to try it one day when I've got some uh, some time and some some money, and I can just go to the bank and say, "Hey, uh, give me a give me a box of quarters, and I'll do a little quarter hunting." Anyway, I think that's about all I really wanted to say. Uh, I don't know how much there is that's new for me to say. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that have happened on in since I think the last episode of Slug is Doug has been put out. But if you've been listening to the Doug Spatches over on Up in This Brain, you're probably, I'm going to say, you're probably caught up. Um, seeing as my last episode was back in June, uh, where I was talking about Wang Chung. 
and I've been thinking about them less recently, uh, but still think about them from time to time. I think that I might spend a little bit more time thinking about Fleetwood Mac and ELO. I think I would especially like to listen to more Fleetwood Mac pre-Rumors uh, and pre-the second eponymous album that was the album before Rumors. I think there was nine albums before that that did not include Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. And I think I would like to listen to them a little bit more just to get to know them. And I realized, I think, uh, recently, or I at least vocalized it out loud, that I think that my two favorite albums of all time are Rumors and uh, Out of the Blue. Rumors by Fleetwood Mac and Out of the Blue by Electric Light Orchestra. So um, I might go back and, and spend some more time listening to those. I really do love them. It was funny because I was thinking about I was talking with my wife about rumors. And I don't think I could tell you the exact track listing of rumors. But I think I could tell you as I was listening to it, and we get near the end of a track, I could tell you at least what the sound of the next song would be, or the lyrics for it, or the rhythm of it. I might be able to tell you the name of it. Um because I have listened to that album so many times that anytime I hear a single track off that album, as we get to the end, I expect it to play into the next song off the album. Anyway, it's 2.05 a.m. I have a... Well, here, let's do a little live whiskey tasting. So this is a, um, like I said earlier, this is a rye. This is a... A rye that was given to me by my wife for my birthday this year. Uh, when she first gave it to me, I didn't realize it was rye. I thought it was just the usual Woodford Reserve that she gives me, uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon. But this is a Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey. Uh, it's a proprietary batch. It's a 45.2% alcohol, so it's not super strong. Um, but it's bottled 3,440. Um and from uh, label batch 929. Um, and I like it. I really do like it. It's it's delicious stuff. <laughs> it's it's really wonderful. I, I really quite enjoy it. So uh, let's uh, let's give it a sniff here. We'll do a little live action sniffing. We'll swirl the old uh, Glencairn. If you have never seen a Glencairn glass, um, you should really. Uh, if you enjoy whiskey, you should try to get yourself one. It's a great way to enjoy the aromas and the flavors of a whiskey. Um, it's kind of a tulip-shaped glass with a bit of a ball towards the bottom and a nice little uh, stump that you can hold on to and look all fancy while you swirl the glass and tip it to your nose. All right, let's see. Swirling, swirling, swirling. Putting it to my nose. It is a rye, so I'm expecting some botanical smells, some herbals. Uh, first thing, though, as I smell, and um, here's a hint. When you when you go to smell, 
maybe don't jam your nose right in. If you jam your nose in too far, you're kind of going to get a lot of alcohol sort of um, vapors in your nose. And it's kind of burnt. It's going to burn your nose and you're not going to get anything. You're not going to get anything more than the alcohol. You want to get the, the smells. You want to get those great esters that are coming out and um, do it with your mouth open. You'll actually smell it better. So let's see. I think the first thing I'm noticing is kind of like, I don't know, is, is that cherry or is it, it's a fruit. It's a fruit and kind of a sugary sweetness. There's definitely a sweetness to it. Maybe kind of um, like, like a cooked brown Cooked brown sugar, almost like a a fruity brown sugar, uh, almost like uh, the the cookie dough, the cooked cookie dough that you would have in a like a chocolate chip cookie, without the chocolate chips. That sort of smell of cooked um, brown sugar. It's nice. Uh, it's fruit. It's kind of fruity though. Um, yeah. My first thought is cherries, but maybe that's that's not quite what it, it's like. It's kind of like a, a, a lemony cherry, though. Very nice smell. Very nice aroma. Okay, let's go in for a taste. There's there's some um punch from the alcohol, strangely enough, even though it's only a 42%, well, almost 43, I guess. Um, so on first taste, I kind of am just sort of overwhelmed by that at first. Um, there was sweetness for sure. Uh, let's try another taste here. Let's see. Let's see if I've, uh, if my, my tongue has acclimatized to the, the alcohol. Yeah. Okay. So it's almost like um, a medicinal taste. Almost, um, I don't know. Would you say eucalyptus or uh, anise? Like kind of licoricey. It's not really sort of the licorice type to it, but it kind of has that that sting of a licorice. Uh, I'm gonna say more probably closer to eucalyptus with. Um, there's a bit of a, a finish to it that is a bit tanniny. You can taste the wood. Um, it's not super bitter, but it's it's there. It's there. It's it's there's the wood. You can kind of taste it on on the very end. It's just at the side of the tongue. Uh, it's a totally drinkable uh, rye. I love the Woodford Reserve um, bourbon. It's one of my favorites. It was probably my first bourbon that I really enjoyed. That and Maker's Mark were sort of my two beginner bourbons when I switched from scotch and uh, moved over to bourbon. And um, my favorite, Lot Rye, of course, is uh, Lot 40, um, especially the dark oak. But this is, uh, this is, this is a nice, this is a nice, uh, it's a nice alternative to it. Um, 
Let's go for another taste. Let's see what I'm feeling on the, the third. Okay. So on that one, the anise or eucalyptus has kind of disappeared more. The brown sugar is coming forward. The sweetness level with, again, that finish of a bit of a woodiness, uh, the tannins and the bitterness at the end. Um, let's see. What's my... I'm not getting sort of a lot of retronasal, like where you breathe out and, you know, sort of after it sits in your in your mouth and it kind of goes into your sinuses. Not getting a lot there, probably because of the low proof that this is. But anyway, uh, very delicious, uh, very enjoyable. And uh, I'm going to enjoy this. Well, I don't know. Maybe I watch a YouTube video about stamps or coin collecting. I hope you're doing well. Um, who knows? Maybe I'll be back shortly, as far as you know, in two seconds or whatever. Depends on whether or not I put a song here or where. maybe this is the end. Um, but uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. I suppose I should probably talk about this because uh, it's part of the stamp life now, I guess, uh, considering I was talking about stamps last night. It's uh, 11 or no, 1.24 p.m. Saturday. Um, it's the next day. Uh, so a little while ago, I decided that um, we have a lot of junk in the house. And after hearing, having... Ugh, Try that sentence again, please, Doug. And after having heard Jason on several occasions talk about how he uh, donates stuff, uh, and for at one point it sounded like he was selling quite a bit of stuff on eBay, I decided that I would uh, list a bunch of stuff on Facebook Marketplace uh, and a bunch of stuff on uh, eBay. And I haven't had a lot of uh, success. <laughs> um, some of the stuff I put on Facebook sold. I sold a, a graphics card um, that um, uh, was from my old computer. So that was good. I was able to sell that. Um, what else did I sell? 
I think that's it, really. I put a bunch of other stuff on there, and, and there's been people sort of looking and messaging. I almost sold a, 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 a board game that I had that was, uh, you know, still in its original packaging. Uh, Facebook is kind of slow. Um, but I put a bunch of stuff up on uh, on eBay, and uh, I've just put together my second ever sale on eBay. And this one in particular, well, my first sale, I should probably tell you about that. It was, it was big. It wasn't big, but it was it was exciting to me. Uh, I found a um, a map, a 1974 Brewers Retail map. Now, if you're not from Ontario, you'd probably don't know who Brewers Retail are. If you were born in the last um, say 20 years or so, you still might not know who Brewers Retail is. It is the beer store. They've been renamed the beer store at some point in the last decade, two decades maybe. But what they used to do is put out a map, uh, like an actual paper foldable map that you could keep in your car that would list all the beer stores, the brewers retail shops, uh, in uh, in the province, in Ontario. And uh, it was a great map. Uh, we had, uh, I remember having many of them uh, strewn about the various vehicles that we had as a kid. They were free, if I remember correctly. You'd get them at the beer store, and um, you, you could use it as your roadmap. Uh, they were really great. So anyway, I found one from 1974, and it was in really good condition. So I, uh, I put it on eBay, and I sold it for $12 Canadian to some uh, lady. Yeah, I'm going to say young woman. I'm going to assume that she is, or maybe someone about our, my age. I don't know. Probably someone who also knows about what brewer's retail is and enjoys beer paraphernalia uh, up in Bracebridge. So I sent that to her a couple weeks ago and she got it back and uh, she enjoyed it. She sent a nice message saying, thank you. I enjoy it. I'll put it among my collection. And uh, I currently have in my hand my second sale. Um, this one is kind of interesting because uh, this is actually from my grandfather's stamp collection, uh, which is now my stamp collection was given to me. Uh, and I am the custodian of it. But there are several things in here that I really, I'm not collecting. I don't collect uh, a bunch of stuff or I probably will not continue. So it's more, it's worth it more for me to have somebody else enjoy it. So I put, um, I put this envelope that came from uh, India, from Bombay in 1951. And it was mailed to Detroit. Uh, and it had about 32 King George VI uh, stamps on it, and uh, two other stamps on a on a uh, like a airmail envelope that uh, appears to have been <laughs> like taken from I believe what was it? it was Chrysler somewhere in Detroit. The return address scratched out and new return address added from Bombay, sent back to Chrysler in Detroit uh, in 1951. Uh, so I put it up, like, I put it up for auction, went up for auction like two, three times. And I, you know, I basically, I put the starting price at a dollar, didn't get a single bite. Um, but I guess the way that uh, eBay works is the more things that you list sort of, you know, as, as you are active on eBay, your listings maybe gurgle to the top. Uh, so after this thing being on um, auction for like, I don't know, I think it renewed three times. So it went through three weeks of auctions and it, it didn't even get a bite. Not a single bid. I think it got three views. Nobody wanted to bid. So finally I said, okay, we're taking that down and we're going to put it up as a, you know, buy now thing. And I put it up for $4. And uh, 
$4 shipping. Uh, if you're going to international distance, uh, I think it was $2, I think, uh, local. I should probably bump that up because it was very close on this one. Oh, I hear the dog barking. and I go upstairs and let her in. I'm home alone. The, the girls are off in Newfoundland or Newfoundland uh, for a week visiting um, my sister-in-law. So let me just go let the dog in. I hear her at the door finally wanting in from the hot and shiny weather. Come on, Lily. That's a good girl. Let me take your leash off. Are you hot? You better go get a drink. Go get a drink. It's getting hot out there. That's probably a good time for me to wander over to the, uh, the mailbox. But uh, anyway, I thought I would just sort of mention that, uh, yeah, second eBay sale in like a month. So $16 <laughs> on stuff that was just sitting in the basement. Um, of course, eBay takes their little chunk, but that's not so bad. I kind of price things thinking that uh, maybe the eBay will take a chunk and uh, I give that up. So, you know, I think about what it's worth and I add maybe a dollar depending on how much it is or, you know, add 20, 20% or something like that. I think eBay takes, it's either 13 or 18%. It's some ridiculous amount. Um, but the buyer pays the taxes. Um, I don't know if I have to pay those. I don't know how that works out. Anyway, uh, we'll see. We'll see what comes across. I don't know what I have to pay on this. I, I think I'm just a, I'm not a business, so I don't have to worry about all that stuff. Uh, but anyway, this particular envelope was purchased by someone in uh, Queensland, Australia. And uh, so I've uh, put $3.88 of postage on it. Which reminds me, I do need to buy some larger denomination stamps. I have a lot of... This is the problem now with all the um, permanent stamps or forever stamps if you're in the U.S. But the permanent stamps is... Um, I have a lot of those. I don't know if we can use those internationally. I should really find out. I think we can. I think they just have a value of whatever the domestic rate is. And I suppose if I put a bunch, bunch of those on, it'll actually eventually make it. But... Um, I don't know what the actual cost of those things is now. Because when you check now, uh, you know, to buy a single stamp, for some reason you have to pay tax on it these days. You don't, it's not just a one-for-one. One. So you have to buy a bunch of them in booklets. If you buy a booklet, you don't pay tax. If you buy a coil, you know, like a, a long strip of them, you don't pay tax. But, you know, I don't want to spend $97 on buying 100, whatever it is, 100... Uh, or 50 stamps or something like, I forget what the, how many are in it. Like, you know, I don't want to spend a big chunk of money buying a bunch of dollar, was it a dollar 98 stamps? Uh, you know, I could put two, two 198 stamps on there. I got 388 to send something across the world. But um, I don't know, it just doesn't seem right. But I guess, you know, the postage is getting paid. I'll have to maybe invest a little bit. If I think if the sales start to improve a bit more, if I start to get a few more international sales, I might have to go buy a, you know, hundred dollar roll of uh, of stamps. I did it earlier with um, our domestic ones because we always use those, and it's saving money. It's an investment on the increase of uh, postage rates. So, yeah. So I've used uh, a couple of. <laughs> I used a couple of stamps that are actually were from my, my stamp album, my stamp collection. I have multiple copies of these things, so it does, doesn't matter. 
uh, they're not that worth that much more than uh, what I have uh, placed on the on the on the envelope. But I should really get some some ones that I mean to actually mail with. <laughs> um, it's always interesting when I order stamps from one of my uh, stamp sources. Uh, the stamps that actually get stuck on the envelope are often from the 70s, <laughs> which, you know, to me, they're valuable stamps. I mean, just <laughs> come on, <laughs> like put those in the envelope. <laughs> Although it's nice to receive something that's been postmarked from back then and it's in good good condition and they're pretty stamps. But uh, uh Luckily, I have most of those stamps already. Anyway, uh, I'm rambling. I'm going to go mail this um, wonderful second sale from eBay. So we're out walking the dog now, and I just dropped the uh, second eBay sale envelope into the mailbox. Um, it feels good. It feels good. Um, getting rid of some things getting some money for it that's not so bad not a hell of a lot of money but you know it's like finding two loonies in my box right uh and also just the knowledge of somebody who maybe really actually collects you know king george the sixth area era uh, um, india stamps on cover is going to enjoy it and they will find joy in the historic value that that particular piece of piece of postal history has for them i did look up the guy who it was um, originally sent to i assume that my grandmother no, not my grandmother my grandfather knew somebody at chrysler in detroit um, he used to work at ford in windsor um, and uh, my grandmother had family that lived and worked in Detroit, probably also at one of the major three car manufacturing companies. And, um, you know, people know where they start. Sorry, I'm a little out of breath while I'm walking here. As you can hear the dog, probably. <laughs> it's hot. Um, but people do get to know, you know, the word gets around, especially back then, that you are a stamp collector. Lily, stay with me. No, leave the car alone. Oh my God, she goes after cars. She's really terrible about it. Don't know why. She doesn't realize that she'll lose. Okay, leave it. Leave it. Leave it. Good girl, let's go. So anyway, the guy that was um, originally sent to, he, uh, so it was sent in 1951. I think it was uh, November. I can't remember the date, but you know, sometime in 1951. And uh, he had just been promoted to his position in 1950, at the end of 1950. And Probably somewhere in the area of about six months, unfortunately, after he received this particular letter with nothing inside it. Like this was this was clearly sent 
to him because he was a collector. Um, it's an airmail envelope, nothing inside. Like I said, 32 King George VI stamps on it uh, from India and two others. And uh, it was registered too, so I, I think he was probably collecting um, registered stickers and stuff like that. So, um, six months after he got it, he died. <laughs> uh, I found his obituary in the, uh, on the internet. Uh, yeah, and it was like almost six months to the day after he received the letter. A bit sad. Um, I don't know when my grandfather picked this up. <laughs> I hope it was... I hope it was before this guy died. But maybe not. Maybe it was afterwards. Maybe it was something he got in a swap sometime afterwards. Um, it's hard to tell. I don't know really how my grandfather acquired his stamps. Um, having never really had a actual conversation with him about it. Having never really ever had an actual conversation with him. <laughs> I believe I was two or three when he, when he passed. So, kind of unfortunate. He would have been 72 or 73. Um, but, um, it's a good feeling. Good feeling. Alright, I'm going back to the walk. Gotta pay attention to the dog here. Probably have to pick up some dog poop in a minute. I can see her sniffing. The old telltale sign. <laughs> the telltale sniff? Isn't that a novel? Alright. Later. Well, now that was something, wasn't it? That was a um, it was a recording from I don't know a month ago or so, maybe even more, of uh, some strange sound that was happening outside of my um, back door. Uh, very, very, as you can tell by the the um, the chirping birds in the background. Very early in the morning, or one would say very late at night, depending on uh, your situation, your perspective. Um, I believe it to be a raccoon, but I can't guarantee what the hell that was because it, it almost sounded like two different sounds. Uh, the the growling was particularly um, um, dis disturbing, um, and of course the whimpering. Like it was just, it was coming from the other side of the fence um, in my neighbor's patio. At least I, I believe it, they were on their patio. And we've had 
raccoons back there in the past making lots of noise. So I assume that's what it was. Uh, I don't think it was a coyote eating a raccoon, but you know, maybe it was. I have no idea. It could have been any number of things, but it it definitely. Uh, I, I forget. I forget why I was up so early or actually up so late. I mean, it was probably recorded while my family was away. I don't know. I've become a bit of a vampire uh, since being unemployed. So anyway, uh, so what you've just heard, it's uh, well, it's currently now September 13th, but uh, all those recordings previous to this point um, were from back in, um, let's see. As early as August 12th. Um, so they're about a month old. Um, not much has really changed. Uh, I think somewhere in there, I don't know if I mentioned that um, <laughs> my oven stopped working. Uh, I think I mentioned it somewhere maybe on a Discord or something like that. But uh, I'll tell you that, my friends, was a crazy saga. And... Uh, I'm going to share it with you. It's a bit of a shaggy dog story, so uh, sorry, it's probably going to make this a lot longer. And if you don't like it, I don't know why. Like, how could you actually sit through all that stamp talk and make it to here to finally say, okay, now, uh, Doug's shaggy dog story about uh, <laughs> about uh, his, his fixing his oven is, is just too much for me. <laughs> That's it, I'm out. I mean, if you want to go, go. I mean, it's, I'm fine with that. But, uh, oh, boy, I seem to be peaking a lot here. Um, can I turn this down a little bit? Let's just turn this down just a little bit. There we go. I'm recording this live. Okay. So, uh, about a month ago, um, I noticed that our oven was just, it was acting up. There was, first of all, it was very unpredictable in terms of what the temperature was that, that it was heating to. You know, you set it to 350 or 400 or whatever Fahrenheit. And you, I, I have, a, a, you know, recipes that were supposed to take 20 minutes were not taking 20 minutes. They were obviously not cooked. You know, it was just not, wasn't working right. So um, I started to think there was something going on. I bought a thermometer to put inside the oven and just, just sort of test the temperature. And I saw that the temperatures weren't working. You know, it wasn't, it was like 100 degrees off or something like that. So I started to think, well, maybe there's a problem with the uh, the temperature sensor or whatever. But uh, to, before I get around to replacing that, maybe what I'll do is uh, I'll try to do the offset. You can actually, you know, you can, um, what do they call it? Calibrate your oven. You can see what it's, it seems to be at and what the oven thinks it's at. And then you can press some buttons and you can adjust it so that it actually runs a little hotter than it should or a little cooler than it should, depending on what your calibration needs to be. So uh, I tried that. And then... Um, uh, shortly after that, I went to uh, heat up the oven for, for, I don't know, dinner. And uh, it just stayed at like 175 degrees or 200 degrees or whatever and wouldn't heat. Like it really would not heat past that point. Uh, it kept making the, you could hear the, um, I guess it's a relay switch inside of the, uh, the, the back panel. You could hear it kind of click on and off like it's trying to regulate the temperature of the oven. But it's not getting any hotter. In fact, sometimes it was just getting cooler. So I was like, okay, there's, this is clearly broken. And I started to get worried because this was like about a, a week or two before Claire's birthday. And she wanted me to bake a cake for her birthday party. 
So I was, I was, I was getting very, very concerned. Um, so Clara and, and, uh, and Tace, they went off to Newfoundland for a little while. Uh, they were away for a week and I figured, okay, here's an opportunity for me to get this fixed. Uh, and so I called a, a company called, um, well, I, I searched the internet for uh, appliance repair Scarborough or something like that. And up came a, uh, uh, website that was like, uh, appliance repair experts. And, you know, they advertised that they were high up on the, um, what is it called? All stars or superstars or you know, some rating site of um, Homestars, homestars.net. They said they were, you know, pretty up high up in the reviews there. And I don't know. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I just kind of was like, okay, let's, let's just call these jokers. Let's see what they, let's see what they do. You know, I went to the website, you know, and I, I booked an appointment and uh, the guy came, he came like that day or the next day or whatever. Like it was really quick. So he shows up at the door, comes in. I had, uh, you know, done him a favor. I pulled the oven out for him so that he could get in behind it. I uh, told him the problem, that it wasn't heating up. So he turned it on, looked at it, saw if it would come up to 350 or whatever, and obviously it wasn't doing that. So then he unplugged it, took off the back. Um, I guess he checked, you know, some things with his multimeter, checked the resistance of the burners, checked the resistance of the... Uh, the temperature sensor, yada, yada, yada. Um, plugged it back in and pressed the button and it came up to temperature. And he said, well, I guess that's, I guess all it needed was to be reset. And I'm like, well, I tried resetting it earlier. I actually did unplug it for 30 seconds or more. You know, I've, I've tried all these other things. Uh, you know, it, it's, it didn't work then. And now it seems, looks like it has worked. So I don't know. And he's like, well, I mean, not knowing what the problem is exactly, uh, I can't really fix it. So why don't we do this? And this is where, I don't know why I accepted it, but he basically said, the charge is usually X amount. I can't remember how much he said, but it was like, I think it was like $89 for the visit. At least that's what I was told when they were, then they were coming in. And, um, and then he said, but uh, we can waive the visit charge. And basically, if I charge you, what was it, $289? I, what was I thinking? Um, then that's that's it. That's the cost of, of the servicing. And then if it doesn't work, you know, if it goes back to being broken in the next 90 days, give us a call, send me a text, whatever. We'll come, we'll fix it for free with the we'd have to pay, but I would have to pay for the cost of the parts. I, look, I'm usually pretty savvy about this stuff, but boy, I don't know, something just kind of, I don't know, something didn't work in my head that day because I was like, oh yeah, sure, whatever, here's 289 bucks. And so basically I paid the guy 289 bucks to come in, unplug my oven, take the back off, plug it back in, put the back on, and then walk out the door. He didn't, he really, he had, he had done nothing other than uh, put his, his um, multi-tool, multimeter to the back of it. So, I mean, he tested it. And, I, you know, I, I, I was pretty much, I, I probably should have just insisted that, that he replace some parts or, or, you know, I kind of had figured in my mind already that the problem was already going to be the control panel. There's, you know, this, the printed circuit boards or the PCB units or whatever they call them. 
those things break all the time. And everything I could see online was that this is probably what the problem is because, you know, if if it's heating, then that means that the heating element is working, right? Like it's obviously that part's working. Um, the other opportunity, the other option was that it could have been the temperature sensor. So maybe the temperature sensor was off and, you know, uh, so maybe should, we should have replaced that right away as a first thing. Anyway, stupid me. I was just like, okay, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll see if it works. And, uh, if it doesn't work, I'll just call you back. And I, I thought, okay, yeah, well, I mean, if it might, my, my family's not home, if it breaks in the next couple, next couple of days, which if it's going to, I figured it was going to do that. Um, I would just call him back and he would come back right away and we fix it. And then I'd pay for the parts and it'd all be done and they'd, be, they'd come back. I'd bake a cake and everybody be happy. Well, as you can tell, that's not what happened. <laughs> he left. He left. Uh, I gave him my $289 and probably about, an, I don't know, it was like maybe an hour or two later, probably even less. I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll try to make some bread. So I... I, I just, uh, just out of curiosity, I turned on the oven to see if it would heat up to the 450 degrees that I needed it to go to, or 425, or whatever the temperature is for baking bread. And it wouldn't. It stopped working. It basically, it it was just as bad as it was before he got here. So I was like, okay, fine. So I, I uh, sent him a text saying, hey, by the way, uh, you know, you were just here. It's broken again. You got to come back and replace some parts. Uh, when do you think you can come by? And so I sent him that text at like 1.30. He was, the, he was here early in the morning. He was here at like 9 o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning or something like that. Um, but I didn't hear from him for the rest of the day. Instead, I, I believe I actually had to call him the next day. I actually called him on the phone and said, hey, oh, I know what I did. I sent him another text saying, hey, uh, are you going to be able to come by? And then he didn't reply. And then later I got a call from saying, hey, who is this? You've just texted me. And I said, no, this is this is Doug Slater. You, you know, uh, you came by to fix my shit yesterday and it didn't work. Can you come back and fix it? So he said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll come by. Uh, I'll come by tomorrow or whatever. It was like the Monday or something like that. He I think it was. Yeah, because I think it was the Friday I was talking to him. He was like, yeah, I'll come by and fix it. So it was either he promised to come by that day or the next day or, you know, the next business day or whatever. Anyway, that time came and went and he didn't show up and he didn't call. Didn't didn't even didn't even acknowledge that uh, he was supposed to be there. And I started I was like, what the hell? What's going on? So once, you know, so I sent him another text. Nothing. Uh, I sent him uh Another text, still nothing. I called him on the phone, left a message. He didn't call back. I'm starting to think, okay, what the hell's going on? So then, uh, he, f I had some shit to do and I couldn't focus. I couldn't concentrate on that. So I did my stuff during the days. Next couple of days, I went by. I call him back again or I send some text messages. He finally gets back to me. He says, I'll come tomorrow by the end of the day. Uh, I stay home all day. He doesn't come. No text, no call, nothing like that. And I'm like, I'm starting to freak out. I'm like, do you, do I need to call and make an appointment with somebody else? So I decide I'm going to do this. I'm going to, if this guy is so unreliable, he can't make it out here. I'm going to call the company that actually gave me, you know, the appointment with him and see if they can actually hook me up with somebody who, who seems to be a little bit better at scheduling their time. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here that maybe he's just, He's just really busy, right? Maybe there's a lot of things that are breaking and he's he's just, he's over, um, you know, he's overscheduled. So I call the company 
phone rings, uh, and it it clicks. It, like, hangs up on me. I'm like, what the hell? I'll call again. Hangs up on me. I call again. Hangs up on me. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And I'm starting to, like, the, the, the old spidey senses are starting to, like, tingle here, thinking that I'm getting ripped off, that this is maybe some sort of scam. So I find another phone number for the company, and I call that, and uh, finally get through, eventually. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? Why is this, you know, why is it, why am I getting hung up on all the time? You know, this guy's supposed to come in out here. He, he hasn't come out. Can I talk, can somebody else come? And they're like, no, 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 sir. We'll make sure that he comes. And, and they're trying with their best part to placate me. And I'm starting to get angrier and angrier. And uh, I, they're like, okay, uh, we'll, we'll tell him to give you a call. So... You know, I'm like, I, I got 289 bucks, you know, sunk into this. I need this guy to come and fix it. Maybe I'm starting to think, maybe I'm just overreacting. You know, like they tell me that they're getting a lot of calls. So that that might be why it's hanging up on me. I don't know. So I give him one last chance. And he's supposed to come out the next day at by five o'clock. Well, five o'clock comes and goes. I send him a text message saying, where the hell are you? Are you coming by to fix my oven like you promised that you would? Nothing. An hour goes by. I finally get a call back. From, no, I, I don't hear from him. And I've, I just, I call back to the company again, just raging, just so incredibly pissed off. And actually I had to call again, another like 12 or 18 times to actually get through to the company. And I'm just like, this is it. That's it. I'm done. I'm done with this company. And so they answer and I just let them have it. I'm yelling and screaming at them. I'm like, give me my fucking money back. You guys are a scam. This is totally unprofessional. I've been waiting around. It's been like been three weeks now. My, my, my family is back. Luckily, somewhere in there, the oven actually turned on for, for me to bake Clara's cake for her birthday. And it turned out okay. But immediately after I took it out of the oven in the next, you know, within the next couple hours, it didn't work. So it was not working very well. Um, so anyway, I'm like swearing to these, these people, like this guy's not calling me. He's not, you know, he's not coming. He tells me he's coming. He doesn't come yada, yada. Uh, so I guess they must've texted him or something like that. Well, I was just, you know, giving them an earful on online. Cause as you lo and behold, I get a phone call from this guy and he says, I'm going to come by and I'll fix it. I'll be there. I'll be there in an hour. <sighs> an hour goes by. And then he calls me and says, I don't think I'm going to make it. I think actually what I need to do is just replace the, the control board. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm so on the edge of just losing my mind here. And I'm starting to think, am I crazy? Am I just paranoid that this is a ripoff? What is going on? But, you know, the, I don't know, the better side of me gives, tries to give this company and this guy one more chance. One last chance. And I say, okay fine. We're agreed. You need to replace the, the control board of the oven, order the part, and let's get this done. And he says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll or get, Send me a picture of the, the little barcode that has the model number and all the information for the oven. And uh, I will order the part and I'll let you know uh, how much it will cost and uh, when I should get it and when, um, when I'll probably be likely to come by and install it for you. And I'm like, okay, great. Hang up the phone. I immediately text him a photograph of the part of the 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 oven thing that he wanted, like all that has the model number and all that stuff. He says, thank you. Give me 20 minutes. 
20 minutes goes by, I don't hear from him. Nothing. And I'm like, well, for God's sake. You know, on the phone call, he told me, call me in the morning, let me know. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't really need to hear whether or not you found the part or not. But whatever. So next morning comes and goes. I still haven't heard from him. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is ridiculous. This guy is just starting to really... He's gone past grinding my gears. He's actually smoothing them out to the point where, like, the anger just doesn't even work anymore. It just, like, it just slips. I slip into anger as opposed to catching on something that makes me get angry. I just slip into it. I don't know. That's a tortured metaphor. I don't know. Um, so anyway, I don't hear from him. Don't hear from him. And I'm like, okay, well, I got to send him a message. I got to call him. I got to figure out what the hell's going on. So I send him a message saying, haven't heard from you. Got to go out for a couple hours. So I hope you're not planning to come by. I hope you didn't get the go out and buy the part and are planning to come by today to install it because I got to go out for a couple hours. Give me a call. Let me know what the hell is going on because I'd really like to get this resolved. Not even, a, not even a message back that he's saying that he received that message. So, okay, fine. Get in the car, start driving away. I'm going up to Aurora, bring Claire up to her orthodontist appointment. Because, yes, we have to take her all the way to Aurora to an orthodontist. Orthodontist. Don't ask me why. Long story. Grinds my gears. But don't worry. They're all... My gears are smooth now, anyway. Um, <laughs> so as I'm driving along, he calls. He calls me on the phone. I'm like, hallelujah, hallelujah. He's called. He's called. He's called. I pick up the phone and say, hey, I think his name is Thompson. Hey, Thompson, what's the good news? You get the part for me? What's what's going on? He goes, uh, I found the part and uh, it costs uh, it was another, what did he say? Uh, it was like 300 bucks. It was like another 300 bucks or 320. It was some ridiculous amount of money. And he says, uh, I'll, uh, um, I'll forward you the... the the link to, um, I don't even know how he said it. Like he said, basically what he wanted me to do was pay for the part up front. And it was like 300 bucks he wanted to charge me again. And I'm thinking, this is shockingly um, sounding like an advance fee fraud to me. And I don't remember these parts. Like I had already looked online as to what these parts might cost. And the the number that he he gave to me was about $150 over what i had seen the parts costing and and i said to him uh well i don't want to pay up front for it uh and that sounds like a, a lot of money for that part where are you getting it from and he goes oh okay well uh, let me see what i can do i'll, I'll talk to them and, and i'll get back to you and i'm like okay uh whatever okay he doesn't get back to me. Um, at which point I, I, I finally like come to the conclusion that even if this is not fraud, like if I give him the, 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 you know, the largest benefit of the doubt that anybody has ever received, this is not satisfactory. <laughs> so finally I come to the conclusion, that's it. I'm just cutting these guys loose. I'm cutting them loose. So I finally get back from all these appointments. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm fuming over being asked to pay for this part up front. Like, I mean, if I take my goddamn car into the garage and there's, you know, parts that need to go onto it to get it fixed, they don't make me pay up front for the parts to fix my goddamn car. They get the part, then they charge me for it. Like, 
you know, they at least call me and they say, this is how much it'll be. They get the part, then they charge me for it. And I go, okay, like, you know, we agree on a price and we, we kind of go forward than this. Like, to, to, like, what is keeping him from just, like, taking the money? Like, I, oh, oh. <laughs> it still makes me angry while I speak about it. So anyway, I call up the, the company. I say, look, this is unacceptable. He's, he's asked me to pay up front for a part. This is not what we do. I explained to him, like, you know, if I was taking my car in to get fixed, that's not the way it would work. This is not the way it should work here. Unacceptable. I don't want him anymore. Uh, cancel him. Cancel any orders that he's ever having. I just don't want to. And they go, okay, whatever. Um, how can we make this better, sir? And I'm saying, well, refund all my money. Refund my money. And they're like, well, no, sir, we, I can't do that here. But if you call, the, if you, you know, send an email to our accounts department, we'll do something about it. So whatever. So I tell them, you know, go fuck yourself. And I actually, I think I actually did. And I hang up the phone. And then I finally call Thompson back. And I say, look, buddy, I, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I'll fix it myself. I go online. I order the part. It comes the next day. I put it in, it cost me $120 to get the part and fix it myself. Oven works. I should have done it in the first place. I really should have had, I should have had the confidence in myself that I could actually follow a YouTube tutorial. And, you know, I have a multimeter. I could have done all the tests. I could have replaced the board. It was like basically undo the back, plug it, unplug it and plug it back in. It was so damn simple. But instead, I'm out $289 to this guy, plus my time, plus my anger of dealing with this. Ugh. Anyway. That's probably not the best way to end the episode, but let's just, let's, let's kind of bring it back to a positive. What this, what this did for me was that it convinced me that I am actually, I am pretty capable at doing things. And... Uh, it made me realize that sometimes when I question my abilities, that's not always the, the healthiest thing to do. I mean, it's good to, you know, when you're standing on the edge of a building and you're looking across at another building and there's a 16 foot gap between you and you're going, yeah, I could probably jump that. Maybe that's when I should question my abilities. But when it comes to things like maybe fixing something or installing something or whatever that basically is fairly simple and I have the tools to do it and I can follow instructions maybe I gotta cut myself some slack and think that maybe I can do it myself so if anything this has proved to me that I, I do need to cut myself some slack and I do need to have the confidence that I know that I should have when it comes to, you know, making stuff and fixing stuff, because I can do it. I'm a pretty smart guy. And I, you know, I don't, um, you know, I don't want to brag or anything like that. I think I have above average intelligence and I think I have above average manual dex, well, not manual dexterity, but like, um, what is it? Uh, fixing intelligence, whatever it is, like the, the ability to follow instructions. I have the ability to think about how to fix something and I have... I have it. I'm, I guess what it is, I'm not just smart about one thing in life. I am, I guess, what do they call it? A poly, not a polyglot, because I have no idea how to speak other, other languages, but I am, I, I am a little, a little, a polyamorous. Nope, that's not what I am. What is the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Here I am trying to tell you how exactly how smart I am, and I can't think of the word. Anyway, I'm a, I'm a jack of all trades, right? I have, 
uh, a lot of knowledge about a lot of things. Sometimes it's absolutely useless. Um, it's probably because I watch way too many videos about fixing stuff, way too many videos about building stuff, way too many videos about art, about uh, evolution, about uh, you know the existence of God and, and debunking it and why I'm an atheist and all this kind of stuff. Like it. <laughs> But I'm smart. And I have to admit it. And I have to embrace it. And I have to sometimes actually use those brains and the talents that I have. I'm multi-talented, is what I'm trying to say, damn it. And I have to accept it. And and not just accept it. I mean I accept that already. It's just I have to I have to show it. I have to use it. I have to not doubt myself. Do not doubt your own abilities and your own powers. I guess that's what it all comes down to. Anyway, I'm well over an hour probably by now. I've probably bored the snot out of you, but hey, here we go. This is episode 124 of the Slugs Dug podcast, and thanks for tuning in. I hope that just did not just go on forever because uh, it feels like it did. I hope you're still awake. Anyway, uh, sorry about uh, no um, Doug's patches over on the up, up in this brain podcast in the last little while. I've been neglecting my duties. That's because I've been sitting around doing a lot of nothing. Anyway, I got to hurry up, put this together, and go back to doing nothing. And um, who knows? We'll see uh, where the. I'm still unemployed, by the way. Uh, don't know when I'm going to be reemployed. These uh, these strikes in the uh, United States, the uh, Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild of America, uh, have basically killed production here in in Ontario. Um, I have heard that there is potential for uh, at least one job for me in the future, uh, maybe even a second job where I might get to do some traveling. So um, we'll see. We'll see what we'll see what comes of everything. But a lot of it hinges once again on the SAG. And act no SAG and WGA strikes as to what my future holds. So I don't know. Maybe I'll be changing my uh, occupation. Maybe I'll become a Walmart greeter. I don't know. I don't know. I gotta do something to start making some money around here, though. Hey, there we go. That that brings you down, doesn't it? <laughs> All right. Okay. We're up to like over an hour, an hour and ten minutes. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Yeah, we'll see you later. Take care. I love y'all. Bye.